Welcome to the Real Self University podcast. I'm Eva Shea, your host and director of practice development at Real Self. It's a strange time to be thinking and talking about marketing, but today I'm feeling grateful to have served clients through past hard times because along with all the tactical things there are to share about reducing the pain of a situation like this, I also know that eventually it will turn around again, and what you do now during the crisis is what makes the hole you have to dig out of later either really, really big or pretty much manageable. Over the coming weeks, everything we bring you through Real Self University will be focused on building your pipeline and preventing that hole from getting too big. One of the most important tactics in your toolbox is virtual consultations. And I was able to talk with Real Self Verified Plastic Surgeon Dr. Johnny Franco this week about how he does it. He's been doing them for years, he's taught himself to be a whiz behind the camera, and he's got a lot of wisdom to share. Dr. Franco also has his own podcast called Plastic Surgery Untold. And although it's for patients, I highly recommend listening to it because his episode this week is also about virtual consultations. So be sure to search for that wherever you get your podcasts and listen for even more goodness on this topic. Welcome to Real Self University, Dr. Franco. Happy to have you here. This is one of two South by Southwest episodes, even though South by Southwest is not happening. Luckily, we were both Austin-based, so I was able to still keep some of these on the schedule. And as you can see by going outside, there is nothing happening for South by Southwest other than this podcast. No, I appreciate you having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. It's been a, a whirlwind last couple of weeks, for it sure. It has. What have you seen in the office as far as behavior changes or uh, coming in from patients who are affected by what's happening? It's been a little bit across the board that, that we've seen in the office. I've actually been surprised how busy the office has still been with, with people coming in. I think people sometimes forget that our office isn't like a Nordstrom's or retail store. We can't just close our doors because we've serviced people who've had surgeries over the last couple of months, and we still have to provide care for them one way or another. I think a, a lot of our patients have planned for some of these procedures for a long, long time, and I think it's it's really detrimental to them to to just close. And so we've, we've made a lot of uh, changes in the office. One, and I think we might get to it a little bit, we've offered everybody who wants to do online or virtual appointments. Uh, we've been willing to convert those. Obviously, there's a few people who need to be seen to have sutures removed or or different stuff that, that don't qualify for that, but, but a, a large uh, percentage of people qualify for that. We've obviously uh, instated some of the the no handshaking. My favorite is the the elbow dolphin fin shake stuff that that we do in the office. Uh, you know, among I think people don't realize a lot of the good hygiene stuff. Most medical offices already implemented wiping down every exam room between. You know, we have a schedule where we wipe down all the the room stuff, all the gowns and other stuff. If they're one use, they're disposed of. If they're multi use, they're a chlorine bleach type. You know, uh, wash stuff that's reused. I, and I think it's important for people to know that a lot of these good practices are already done in most medical offices. So because this is something that is very important right now, but something that, that all of our offices take seriously throughout the entire year and day and in entire careers. This is normal for you. So then I had this big light bulb yesterday, I think, of anywhere you could go, a plastic surgeon's office is probably about the safest because it's already extra, extra clean to those super high standards that you maintain, but there's really no sick people there either. So it's it's not like going to the ER. No, it's not like going to the ER, but but we've implemented if if 
any of our staff even feels remotely that they're they're sick, then we we have them don't come in. Uh, we've implemented some other things to assist with those for for staff that maybe having accrued sick days or have used all their time, and so uh, we're trying to work with everybody to make sure that they're still well taken care of and that that you know they're they're doing the right thing. Have you had any sick people come in that you've had to say, I think you should go home? We haven't. Uh, I've been pretty amazed by how responsible patients, staff, other people have been. We've had people call and say that they're not feeling well, and we've either rescheduled their appointment or switched them to an online virtual appointment. So we've, we've tried to work with people, and I think people have been extremely responsible, which I applaud their initiative. Yep, makes sense. What about South by Southwest? I know you were really looking forward to doing some of the things yeah, I think there's a couple folds there from a, a selfish standpoint. Uh, I was really excited as someone who got to participate in the Modern House of Beauty last year. I think it was a, an amazing event last year and sound like it was just going to be exponentially better this year. I think for, for patients, the, the best way to describe it is it's basically like going to an Apple store except for plastic surgery. And so I feel like we're the, the geniuses at the Apple store at the Modern House of Beauty. So you have plastic surgeons, dermatologists, facial plastics that, that you have direct access to, all the different devices and so forth. So even from a physician standpoint, it's like a, a kid in a candy store for, for me. Yeah. It was really unique. I think putting doctors and patients and, and brands, treatments, in the same space together really had never been done before that. So I know everybody at Real Self is really excited to get it back on the calendar as soon as possible because we've had such an unbelievable response to it. No, I, everybody who I talked to that was at it last year was excited about it again this year. And I know a lot of companies were excited. I know as physicians, we couldn't wait. But I think it was a, an extremely responsible thing Real Self did because I don't know if most people realize Real Self actually took the initiative to pull out before South by Southwest was even canceled, which I think goes a lot to to their credit. Of Having just of, been in the Seattle office, I can tell you the mood was calm. Everybody was at peace with it, but we all knew we had to protect each other first. And mm-hmm. that was what drove that decision. And I really respect our leadership a ton for, for making that tough call. It was really mm-hmm. hard. Okay. So let's go back in time a little bit. Yeah. We haven't talked about you and how you ended up here, not just in this chair talking to me about your practice, but go all the way back to Miami. I think I met you for the first time when you were practicing in Miami and you were with a group. Mm-hmm. What was that like and, and what inspired you to want to leave Miami and, and start over from scratch in Austin? Yeah, I think it, it's a little couplefold. So if, if you let me back up even further, I actually grew up at, in the, the Texas-New Mexico border on a little, little pecan orchard, me and my identical twin, Johnny and Jimmy, and then my, my little brother, Fabian. But I did my med school in Texas, Got had the ability to spend two years in Austin before there was truly a med school in Austin. Galveston's med school had outgrown the, the city a little bit there, and so they sent some kids to Austin. And I just absolutely loved my, my time here, and so I always knew I wanted to come back and then through a roundabout way, I did my residency in, in plastic surgery at St. Louis U and then had the, the opportunity to spend some time in uh, Taiwan at Changgung Hospital doing some microsurgery and then in Belgium doing some fat transfer and, and other reconstructive type things and then did a, an aesthetic fellowship in Miami. And, and that's how I ended up there. So it wasn't like it was a city that was on my radar, but it was just a great opportunity to train at, at Miami Plastic Surgery with a group that had a show on TLC and had a, a well-oiled machine and, and very outstanding physicians. And so 
just thought from a, a learning and career standpoint, it was a, an incredible opportunity. So I, I took it and it was, it was great. It was super fun. Probably wasn't great for my longevity staying there uh, just because it was too much fun. <laughs> but finally got a chance to, to move back to Austin and, you know, I probably came back and visited Austin at least once a year. So it was always kind of in the back burner. And, and then uh, I actually joined a, a Derm group here for a year and they were in the process of getting bought out once I, I had joined them. And so just ended up not being a perfect fit for me. And just a little over two years ago, decided to, to start my own practice and kind of been a, a whirlwind two years for sure. But I've loved the the journey with its, its ups and downs for sure. I've seen a lot of practices get off the ground from the beginning, just in, in my own career that has gone. I don't want to show my age too much, but I started <laughs> working on this on cosmetic marketing in 2003 before doctors had websites, mm-hmm. there was no real self. <laughs> it was a really different time. You couldn't look up a procedure on the internet. And so I was writing procedure content by actually going and interviewing doctors about it because there there was nothing to look up. Huh. Like, it was a, that's how far back I can remember this. I hadn't even started residency then. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a few years older than you. <laughs> Not many. So... You started from scratch, and I think mm-hmm. kind of watching what you were doing, you did it in a really scrappy way, and I've seen a lot of people come in and think they need to have a giant pile of money or they get an enormous, very painful loan to open up, and you didn't do either of those things. How did you start? I mean, you did one year in the Durham office, but then how did you kind of get going after that? I, I think it was a, a couple things. So one... I just rented some some space out from another plastic surgeon, so I was able to run pretty lean and then hired just very specifically. I had a coordinator and an MA, and, and that was it. And so between the three of us, we, we got everything started. I think in this day and age, the use of social media and real self online type things has really made stuff a little bit different. I think in the old days, it was really hard. You either had to build practices over time through just working in ERs and doing other things like that, which which were hard because it was working towards a goal that wasn't your end goal if you had a, a specific niche. I think secondly, didn't overspend in a, in a massive amount of office or staff where it puts you in a bind not to be able to do other things. It also, I think sometimes when you do overspend in, in some of these initial onsets, I feel like you, it starts to take some of the joy away from what you do because you feel like you're doing just to keep yourself afloat rather than just doing what you love because you you love it. I also think I, I, I was a little lucky in terms of staying true to what I do. When I was in Miami, I did a lot of butt augmentation. And I remember when I first came here, one of the reps here in town was like, you know, uh, oh, you did a lot of butts in Miami. And they're like, you'll never do any here in Austin. People just don't want them. And it was interesting. It's not that people didn't want them. Nobody was offering the service. People were getting them done. They just weren't getting them done here. And it created a nice natural niche. I think some of the stuff with Miami being such a competitive market, I think we learned some very good stuff in terms of uh, how to, to to reach patients, how to how to treat them, how to be you know, uh, aware to their needs and so forth. And I think that gave a really good platform for us to be able to get our our message out to people. So it sounds like you're saying you focused from the beginning. Uh, focused from the beginning. Uh, when we were starting our practice, I just made the, the decision that we weren't going to take insurance. We were going to just focus on aesthetics. And I was just going to do what I, I loved. And it was funny. I It actually made it harder 
for me to get alone in other things when I was trying to because the banks didn't like the idea that I was just going all in with my dream here. They, they wanted me to have a second job. They wanted me to uh, sign up to do other things, but then that was going to detract me from what I wanted to do and instead just put all the focus on, on building this practice the way I wanted it. In your office, you have a map. Is that uh-huh. map still there? And the it map is still there. Push pins in with, it. With push pins, it has. It's a map of the the United States, and then we got some little some little tags if you're from outside. But when patients come to the office, if they'd like, and they're they're not from Austin, they're put a pin up on the wall. And so we have. Uh, we're trying to fill up every state. I think we've got thirty of the the fifty states so far, but we're we're making some progress, and so filling as as much of that board as possible. So they're coming to you from all over the place. How are they finding you? A couple of ways. Uh, one is just online searches, and, and I would say real self is a big part of that. The other part is through social media, Instagram, Snapchat, those those type of stuff. And so, because I think people don't realize, especially with plastic surgery, it's not like orthopedics where if you break a leg, you go to the ER, somebody sees you. Most people, and, and we got it yesterday, somebody came in the office and was like, I've been following you for two years, now I'm ready. Most people have been thinking about this for a long, long, long time. And when I was a, a fellow in, in Miami, one of the physicians there told me, it's like, he's like, when when people meet you, a lot of times they make their decision right away. They're like, this is the person I want to do my surgery. But it may be eight years before they come back and see you because it's not the right time in their life. And so I think the the thing where some of the online stuff, some of the social media has really changed and has really done well for our practices, it's been able to be in front and center of people on a daily basis. You know, we used to do newsletters that people saw once a day. Now we we post every day on our story. We're on IG Live right now uh, doing this just because people get a real inside look at our practice, at what I do. And you know, we'll commonly have between five and 10,000 people on our story see us every day. And so they know what they're getting. So obviously not everyone can just fly here for a consultation. They have to meet you somehow. And we know from lots and lots of research over many years that people choose a surgeon because that doctor made them feel comfortable. So there's a moment where they have to bond with you. Mm-hmm. and make that choice, like, this is who I'm going with. And and like you just said, they, that could go back a decade or eight years, mm-hmm. or it could be yesterday, and, you, and you're ready to move forward today. We can't predict how long it's going to take someone to move forward. What do you do when they're far away to get them to know who you are and to, and to maintain that sort of authenticity we see from you online in a one-on-one setting? So, so I think there's a couple of things. I think sites like Real Self, Instagram, Snapchat are something where patients get a really good inside look at you before they ever come. They can read re- reviews. They can watch videos. They can read questions that you've answered. In terms of getting an idea, and I think the more active you are on any of these platforms, which is, is probably true for, for most things in, in marketing business life, is you know you basically get out what you put into it. So if you're into it and you're doing stuff all the time, people make a connection. If you're only doing things every now and then, you never really are consistent. And, and hopefully we'll circle back to that, but that's one of the keys to social media. You can't do one great post and then not do anything for a month. You'll never build that that traction. But going back to what our patients from out of town do, we, we actually have a virtual online system, which you know is mostly done by my staff coordinating and doing all the, the leg work that makes it smooth for patients and for me. And that what we'll do is patients, when they reach out, if they're, if they're out of town and want to do a virtual consultation online, 
we'll have them send pictures. The better pictures they send, the better the consultation. We have them send some, uh, fill out a questionnaire so I have a good idea in terms of needs and other things. And then we actually can go through, now there's so many platforms. We a lot, Most of the time we'll just do FaceTime. Sometimes we do Skype. They're international. We'll do WhatsApp. But those platforms make it easy to have a, a face-to-face conversation. And honestly, so many people in the business world now, you know, we've lagged behind this, do Zoom and other things where they do video conferencing all the time that for most people outside of the medical world, this is just another Tuesday. They're so used to it. And for most of them, just from a busy schedule life, they love it. From being able to spend time with us, they love it. I think, like you said, it also gives people access to care that would have been really, really difficult. Look at the state of Texas. We don't even have to go far. You go out to rural Texas, there may not be somebody that does your specific procedure. And now, if you think about it, it's it's one thing, you hate Austin traffic and you want to don't want to drive 30 minutes to appointment. What about the people in rural Texas that are driving six hours for their half-hour appointment and then six hours back. I mean, virtual online consultations has changed their world. I mean, if you think about it, even from a post-op standpoint, because patients see like, oh, this was easy for my consultation. You know, there's definitely some visits that need to be seen in the office. But if you think about it again, for patients out of town, for patients who, you know, now you've taken two weeks off work, it's hard to ask for another day. If there's just some little question stuff, they can send a picture, we can schedule, you know, an online virtual follow-up and they don't have to make a 12-hour round trip to get that that scene. And so I think they love that. And we can still make that connection because we see each other face to face. And then, you know, we've recently, because of the the COVID-19 stuff, we, we've expanded this. So even patients in town, we're willing to offer any type of virtual online appointment unless they're an injectable or someone who needs some type of hands-on treatment. How is the virtual consultation different from the in-person one? Or are they the same? Is there some... The key differences? Uh, I think there's some key differences depending on the consultation. The quality stuff is definitely directly dependent on the pictures that, that patients are, are able to, to send. So I think that makes a, a big difference. The better we can do in terms of that. I always think there's, especially if we're talking about lipo or something, we're trying to, to judge skin texture and those type of things. I think it makes it a, a little bit harder on, on the virtuals and online appointments. No question. I think the, the more that we've done it, the better we've gotten at the process. There's a lot of work up front that, again, is credit to my office in terms of doing those virtual online consultations because if people are flying in, this needs to be silky smooth for patients because we don't want them to have a big hiccup. So a lot of patients, what we'll do is we'll do these online virtual consultations. They can get all their labs, clearances, stuff at home from their own primary care physicians. And then we actually see everybody in person at least the day before. So this way, if we need to audible or change our plan, we can because now we've had our official visit in office, but then it's we can do the surgery the day before, we do the surgery the next day, see them the day after, and then see them again, you know, at, at appropriate time and intervals for, for follow-up. And then a lot of our patients, even from like San Antonio, will do an initial post-op in the office and then alternate, maybe do do a virtual follow-up and then come back again to the office. And so there's a lot of really good things. And we're in the process of improving our, our bank of videos in, in terms of showing people how to massage, how to do different things that, you know, we've typically done in the office, but don't necessarily have to come for me to show you how to do massage or, or where to place foam or different things in your garment. And, and we're working to, to get even better about that for patients. Mm-hmm. I know you can post those videos on your real self profile too, which well makes them even easier to find. Mm-hmm. So as you 
talk to patients about this process? Do you give them guidelines for the photos? Or is there something you ask them to do specifically, like don't stand in the bathroom? Or <laughs> uh, yeah, we do. <laughs> we we have specific instructions that we we send to patients, and depending on what areas they're they're concerned for, we even give them instructions in, in what type of underwear to wear and those type of things, and what not to wear to make it uh, appropriate lighting angles to to take. Uh, we typically try to get them to have somebody else take the pictures because the selfies are are great for selfies, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Snapchat, but but not for necessarily like a, a medical consultation. Or use your timer. A timer. I, I think the other thing that, uh, you know, we try to remind people is when we're actually spending our time, though, make sure that you're in a good location where you can hear us and you can can concentrate. Because I think sometimes people forget and, and don't realize that, that that time is important to, to be able to hear and understand. So to do it while you're driving, to do it while there's other people in the car, to do it, you know, in the bathroom at work tend not to be the most ideal. <laughs> and so, you know, sitting home, you know, and, and, and so that's one extreme. The other extreme where it's really great is that a lot of people like to take advantage of it, that maybe husband, wife, or whoever is going to be helping. It's a time they can both be together on the couch. They can both listen. They both kind of understand the process. And so this makes life a lot easier for people because sometimes really hard when you have multiple people that work, kids and so forth, to get everybody into the office at the same time. Absolutely. That's really challenging. Everybody's so busy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really hard. Okay, let's talk about another kind of video, the one that you're most well known for, which is for doing live surgery on Instagram, mm -hmm. which I watched a number of those yesterday. And I, I think I could, it was easy to see over time how much better you've gotten at this. <laughs> at these videos, not mm -hmm. that they were bad in the mm -hmm. beginning, but they're they're actually really engaging now and kind of, I'll admit they were kind of fun to watch <laughs> and I found myself really enjoying it. So what, what can you tell us about how you've gotten your videos to this point and what goes into making them? I think there's a couple of things uh, when, when you're trying to make these videos and, and so forth. One, you never want to do anything that's going to be disrespectful to the to the patient. You never want to do anything that's going to subtract from the, the care of the patient. So I think that's number one. Sticking emojis over body parts. Yeah. <laughs> but also making sure we have a really good process in terms of consents and making sure patients understand and that they've given their, their approval to, to this. I think, but two, from a physician standpoint, you just got to get started. You just got to do it. I think all of us are very self-conscious. You know, we're perfectionists or we probably wouldn't go into to medicine and this type of thing. And so we're self-conscious about how we look on camera. And, and some of it, it's just like anything else in life. The more you do, I think the more comfortable you become, the, the better it becomes. But I'll tell you the feedback we get from our patients, from people who watch, over-edited, over-practiced, over-rehearsed stuff is boring. They don't want to see an automated ad. They want to see the real thing. They want to hear what you really have to say. They want to hear what you really believe. And a lot of times what I see on videos comes from either recent interactions. I've had questions patients have recently asked me, concerns patients have recently had. And again, just trying to, hey, this person is a good candidate for this. Hey, and this type of person, I'm worried about X. And so people can relate to that and like, oh, okay. And I actually see when patients come in and they followed us, we have a better conversation in the office because they may screenshot, they may bring stuff and be like, I didn't understand this part. Or I see why you want me to take three weeks off. I see what, how you pull my muscles and you lift my whole belly and put it back together. That makes sense. It's taken away this mythical black box of plastic surgery that we ask you to do all these hard things and it's just supposed to come out good at the end. And there's this whole part that nobody understands. And I feel like hopefully we're, we're getting rid of some of that. Absolutely. I know you are. 
We're trying. And we see this in real self-reviews where people will document their journey all the way through. And mm-hmm. sometimes we'll end up with 50 or 100 photos mm-hmm. of themselves from beginning all the way to end. And everyone wants to see that. Those are the most engaging reviews on real self. It makes sense. And there's just no way kind of on our, our websites at the current set to to do something at every like week interval. We just, one, we don't torture people to come in three times a week to, to take pictures of, of them. But it's just most people see the beginning, they see the end, but it's nice to know like, oh, this this swelling is, is normal. This bruising is normal. This is the whole, what do they mean by my implants are going to be high? It's It's nice to actually know. It is. It's very helpful. How many people are helping you with the Instagram work that you're doing right now? We've tried to make more. So I would say the big change in, in our Instagram turned when we hired a, a specific person who comes to the surgery center with me and, and, and films. We try to edit the videos very little so that, that it's real, so that it, it's there. Uh, obviously, you know, we'll shorten them if there's just blank times that, that aren't talking or those type of stuff. But basically one other person uh, who comes and, and films. Uh, we've tried to get more of the office staff in, engaged, and, and hopefully people have seen that change recently. Because what I want is people to understand everybody in our office, because the whole team is what makes this a good experience for them. And it's, it's nice when they come in and they already know everybody. To our online stuff and even our surgeries, we don't have a surgery center at our facility and we use two great surgery centers here in town, but it's nice because the nurses and, and anesthesia providers have become part of this. And so they're already nervous. And when they come in and they already know like, hey, this is Nurse Sally, Nurse Betty, whatever, they they already have a connection and that's a calming force for them, which uh, I think is super helpful. It is. The staff are the, the second most important thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, sometimes they're the most important thing because your time is very limited and the people around you have to make up for all the other things the patients need throughout that journey. So I know. No question, because they, they may never get to see you if the if the staff and, and team doesn't give them a good experience from that first phone call. Also, you know, with surgeons, I think it's always a unique perspective in that we're out of the office more days than we're in. I, I typically operate three days a week. I'm, I'm in the office two days a week, so I'm gone more often than I'm not. And so part of them having a good experience is making sure that our staff can help triage calls and stuff that needs to get to me. Because again, don't want to detract from the patients we are doing surgery or delay those dealing with other things. But this is where having an incredible staff makes it an incredible experience for, for our patients. Sort of makes me wonder if you do anything in your free time or are you just really focused on work almost 100% right now? No, I, I I mean, right now I feel like I'm focused on work since uh, I'm a big sports fanatic and all the sports have been have been canceled. So it makes me rain in a little bit. But no, I love outdoor stuff. I love getting out of uh, going to the gym, doing different things to, to, to stay active. Uh, I love doing. Are um, you an uh, early morning guy? Or oh, I'm an early morning. Out? No, I'm an early morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By 9 o'clock, I'm in my PJs. I'm man down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I'll be up by 3.30 or 4. It's like having toddlers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're like 3.30 in the morning guy? 3.30 or 4, I'll be, I'll be oh, up. Get, get this day started. Those are the best two hours of the entire day. It's like 4 to 6. I, I love it. It's a chance to get some stuff done, get the day started. I love just getting the day started productive because then I feel like even if if I didn't don't do anything else by 7 o'clock, I've gotten a big lump sum done and ready to go here. So mm-hmm. My grandpa was the president of a hospital. Okay. And he always said the the early bird, well, he had a lot of sayings, but they were mostly about getting up early in the morning <laughs> and how that would make you successful. It didn't listen to him for a really long time. 
I think if, if some of physicians or other people are looking for some tips uh, about social media, a few key take-homes I, w- I would tell them is, you know, number one, you, you got to be consistent. Doing it sporadically is, is going to be really hard. Even if you don't hire a separate person, I think you need to assign somebody in your office, just like you wouldn't buy a big device or laser and not have a lead. You need somebody who's going to help you and be that lead and be like, hey, come on, let's let's talk about this. Let's do something because you need somebody to help spur you to Eva's point. I mean, you, you get busy. It's easy not to. And then a day goes by, then a week goes by, then two weeks go by and you haven't done anything. And so, you know, I do something where every morning I, I just do a little good morning team. And part of that is just want to say hi to our, to our team and appreciate everybody who follows us online. But two, it just gets me started with it because then the day hasn't gone by and it's noon, two, three, and I haven't posted anything. I was like, oh, well, the day's gone. I'm not going to do anything. It at least gets you in that routine right off the, the bat. But whatever it is, make sure you're consistent. Assign somebody to help be your lead so that they can help you do that. Also, to be be authentic. Just be you. If something's not perfect, that's fine. People appreciate it. It's funny. We've hired high-tech people to come do these professional videos in the office. They get no views compared to, to me drinking like Summer Moon and wearing like a Boom t-shirt. And it's just, <laughs> they just want to know who you are. Because to your point, they want to make an, a connection. They want to know, hey, if, if things don't go perfectly? Are you someone that's going to be on the journey with them? Are they you someone they're going to connect with? And then, you know, I think for sometimes people f- struggle with what to do on it. The same questions and, and issues that you get in your office, that's what people want to hear about. So just like you answer questions on, on Real Self, you can answer those same questions on, on your Instagram and, and other things. You know, we've tried to just film our whole process. Some of the stuff we're trying to do over the next couple of weeks is, is even some of the process that doesn't involve me. Because again, to your point, that's a huge part of the office. And then, you know, the goal is for them to know every single person in the office before they ever come in. That consistency and authenticity, those are the two keys. Big ones. Yeah. I think you're an outlier on Instagram and on on social media in general. You just have a a knack for it that a lot of doctors don't. And so I don't want anyone to think like I can, I have to be just like Johnny Franco on Instagram or I'm not successful because success is different for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it just goes back to what you said earlier about how what you put into it is what you get out of it. And that's true of all platforms. It does not matter, except I would say right now, we should probably still be avoiding TikTok. What do you think about TikTok? Uh, depends <laughs> who you ask. My, my little brother goes crazy about TikTok and just, uh, yeah, there's there's some concerns. There was um, a, a piece in the New York Times within the last month about doctors on TikTok. And there was a plastic surgeon quoted and he said he tried it. And he realized very quickly that the audience was way too young for what he was doing, and he stopped immediately. So I think right now, it's probably not something we should be messing with too much. It's always hard, though, because it's uh, the age and stuff changes dramatically. I mean, if you, you think about it a few years ago, Facebook and Instagram was considered very, very young. And now Facebook seems like, you know, it's considered an older population versus Instagram. And, you know, I, I think there's a, a couple points there. One is... You want to be in terms of a, of a lot of catches stuff because you don't know what's going to resonate with your patients. To your point, you know, everybody's population and their practice is, is different. I think that you should have some social media presence, even if you're not trying to get to, to a million followers, at least something. Just just like back when, when websites started, you didn't have to have the best website in the world, but you need to have something because a lot of times people want to just jump on and see your profile. Maybe they're just looking for your phone number. Maybe they're looking for something. So I think having some presence is key. 
also, to your point, don't want people to get discouraged. I think getting into Instagram, Snapchat, those type of things, when we did, stuff was a little bit easier to build your following. I'll, I'll be honest with you, our, our following has, has growth has slowed over over the last probably six, nine months as Instagram has made some some algorithm changes and so forth. So just because you're not growing exponentially doesn't mean you're doing a bad job. It doesn't mean you should be discouraged because if you think about it, look at how many people open your monthly newsletter and look at how many people watch your stories. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised even if you only have 10,000 followers. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of work around that Instagram algorithm change to identify what caused it and, and what to do about it. And I think the big takeaway was that you needed to get people who already know you to follow you mm-hmm. because it's much harder now to get people who don't know you to get your content in front of those people. Mm-hmm. So if you start by focusing on people who already know you, the rest will follow. The, the rest will follow. I also think, you know, it, it's the whole idea of buying followers or these huge numbers doesn't mean anything. You'd rather have 10 people that are super engaged, that want to come to your practice, that want to see you. doesn't make any sense to have 100,000 people and only three of those people actually care about anything you're you're doing. So this artificial type stuff just in the end doesn't mean much other than I guess if you want to brag to other plastic surgeons, but I don't know what that's going to do. Make you feel temporarily superior. <laughs> I know if it seems too good to be true, it always is. And and I've seen this play out over and over and over. It was buying links. It was buying followers. It was buying likes. There's always been a way to cheat. And I, to this day of 17 years of marketing, there's never been a payoff for cheating that I have ever seen work. So I just don't. I mean, there's. I don't want to see it. <laughs> anymore. I want it to go away. Yeah, no question. And and Instagram itself is is cracking down on on a, a lot of these and and they've gone through and and deleted a, a lot of accounts and so forth. On the flip side, it, I think it's become harder too because we've also even started getting spamming and people trying to hack our accounts and other things like that. So, you know, just making sure you're being very careful about sharing passwords, anything like this. Same thing, be careful if you ever open links, you know. Unfortunately, scammers are not opposed to 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 your social media accounts either. No. They're not. You have several accounts. I noticed. Mm-hmm. How, how do you use them differently? So we have we have one for for our, our surgery account, Austin Plastic Surgeon, and then we have one for our Med Spa for people who maybe don't want to see the more graphic type stuff. It makes it a little bit different scene where they can avoid some of that. And then we have one for our podcast, uh, Plastic Surgery Untold, that we we tape here in Austin. So we've actually started a a podcast, and this is something that we've been able to do to to try and spend a little bit more time because some of the, the things we've gotten feedback on our Instagram has been that people want more knowledge on a specific topic, which again is very hard to do when you do a 15-second story clip. But our, our podcast has been able to let us dive deeper into topics just as you're doing. Exactly. I heard an interesting tidbit the other day that an exec at Allergan had over 200 invitations from doctors asking her to be on their podcasts that they were just starting. And I went, what is going on? Everybody wants now to have their own podcast. I don't actually think people realize how much work goes into that and what's behind that. But you've already been doing it for a while. I've listened to yours. It's very entertaining. And it's a great example if if you're a doctor of, of how to do it and what it should look like if you're trying to, to do something to be helpful to your patient base. 
I appreciate it. It is a lot of work. I think we are scheduled to start filming our 13th episode tomorrow. So we've been been making some some progress, but no question it's a lot of work. Also getting stuff out there. And, and again, you don't want to overly spread yourself too thin. So, you know, pick some projects you can do. I had a couple other friends who wanted to do the the podcast with me that were in the the medical field. And I think having a, a group of, of people to help has been really instrumental because as you know, if you're doing this all by yourself, it can be a daunting task. It can. I try to pack all my recordings into small batches and get them all done in a short amount of time so that then I can space them out and the work is is in batches instead of constant, which mm-hmm. is that's made a big difference for me and for my team because we're just able to keep keep rolling and not feel like we're doing tons of work all the time. Exactly. Yeah. What's your next episode going to be about? We're actually going to talk about virtual and online appointments. It's going to be a big one since we've been pushing that and offering it to to all of our patients. I think a lot of people don't understand, and we're going to bring our patient care coordinator on with us, and that way she can explain the process of of how it goes and what's done with that because I think – it sounds cool, but I don't know that everybody truly understands what a, a virtual consultation or online consultation is. And this is something I think we were fortunate that there was a, a, a pretty big part of our practice already. We do probably about 10 virtual consultations a week prior to, to the the whole virus rush. It'd be interesting to see a month from now where, where that number is. But the fact that our office had a streamlined fashion and and bringing in some of our staff who actually help with this, I think to do a step-by-step of this is what we can do, this is how we do it, I think it's going to be very helpful for, for patients that are interested but don't understand. Because I think sometimes people use virtual consultations, but it, they click on some Google link and they push a few buttons and then it says, ultimately, somebody's going to get back to you. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about getting something set up where you actually get to speak to a physician or a provider face-to-face and they can help you. Laws laws are a little bit different, whether it's in-state in or out-of-state and those type of things. And so we can help navigate some of those stuff for, for people. But in my mind, this isn't going away. This this is the wave of, of the future. You know, one of the big pushes in our office is this uberization of plastic surgery that we want to make it efficient. We want to make it cost-effective for people. We also want to give them an incredible service where they know what they're getting up front and not to to get off tangent. We've really tried to change a lot of stuff that we do on our office. We post prices. One of the things we're trying to do is after every video, we try to post the price of that procedure so people know like, hey, this is what I'm getting into. I don't want to... I want people to feel like they're getting a good product at a good price and a good service. And they feel like there's no surprises. Everything's up front. And this is something they're happy with the entire process and they want to come back. And it's funny, as much stuff as we do on social media, on real self, online, our number one referral source is still patients. As it should be. So you're recording tomorrow. When can we actually hear that episode? Every Tuesday. Every Tuesday we release it. It'll be right out like three days from now. Yeah. We hustle. We got to hustle. Where can we find it on Uh, Apple? You can can download it anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcasts. Uh, We actually are on uh, iTunes. We're actually on iHeartRadio now, Pandora, Spotify. So wherever you listen to your podcasts, uh, download us Plastic Surgery Untold, Dr. Johnny Franco. Okay. So on the Real Self University podcast, we end every interview with uh, the same question, which is what is your unique superpower? I would say my my unique superpower is I feel like I, I, I do a really good job in terms of 
making connections with people. And I feel like in terms of something, and it's funny because my twin and I, I feel like are, are very similar in this and that we get a very good sense of people. I feel like some of this just goes both ways. I feel like we we both wear our emotions on our sleeve. And so we're very transparent about who we are and what we're doing. And I think in return, people do that and reciprocate that. And, and I think that's where the the feeling of being able to read and, and understand people comes. But I think they're just reciprocating what, what we're sending out. Does anyone ever mistake your twin for you? Oh, yeah. All the time. And he doesn't even live here, right? He doesn't live here. Occasionally, he'll be somewhere random, and it'll be crazy, but the world has just gotten so small. And he'll be like, oh, somebody started talking to me. And and he's like, they were in the medical field, so I'm pretty sure they thought I was you. And he'll just send me a random text. (laughs) (laughs) I think with social media and so forth, there's definitely times where people have stopped him and asked uh, if he was me. That's the other kind of cool thing about social media is that, you know, I'll, I'll be out at dinner and somebody will come up to me and, and ask if they can take a picture with me. Or I, I was at dinner once, somebody came up to me and they whispered, I know who you are, and then walked <laughs> off. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> which, which is fun, and I, I appreciate everybody. <laughs> I saw yesterday that in Forrest Gump, Tom Hanks, you know the scene where he's running across the country and his beard uh-huh. gets really long? That was actually his brother standing in for him as the body double because none of the stunt doubles could run the way that Tom Hanks runs except for his brother. Huh. So I didn't I know that. that. Yeah, it was a kind of a cool anecdote, and I can just sort of see your twin out there like, maybe there's a day where you need him to stand in for you for something that you I, can't do. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. You should get him over here. We should. We will. Okay, well, thank you so much. It was extremely interesting and a, a, such a privilege to have you. So I appreciate we'll you having me. This was great. Thanks for listening to the Real Self University podcast. The mission of Real Self is to create a world where every investment in modern beauty is worth it. And Real Self University is here to help aesthetic professionals do just that. The mission of our podcast is to uncover stories and data from our industry's most interesting and successful personalities. If you'd like to be a guest on the Real Self University podcast, have feedback or questions, email university at realself.com. Support us and help us keep this effort going by subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about becoming Real Self Verified, go to realself.com slash network and enter referral code podcast to receive 50% off your first full month of Real Self Spotlights. I'm your host and producer, Eva Shea. Our post-production is by Daniel Cruiser. All of our learning and practice development resources are available on demand at university.realself.com.